So, 10 things you hate about Keanu Reeves. 10 things we hate about Keanu Reeves. Number one, too handsome. Uh, number two, probably immortal, at least a Dorian Gray situation. Uh, number three, too many motorcycles. I want some of them. Number four, not enough movies. Uh, number five, uh, way too sweet to be a real human. Number six, literally dreamy. Like, you like have had dreams about Keanu Reeves, mostly not sexual, most of them. We're not going to talk about the other ones. Yeah, they get, they get a little wild. Seven. It's all in bullet motion or whatever. Possibly he's a deity or a demigod. Eight. I wish somebody would pay me to learn jujitsu. Uh, nine. He's just too handsome and black. He's too handsome and black. It's unfair. Like he, I've never seen him in colors that weren't just drenched in darkness, and he still looks like just a Gregorian chant made real. Uh, number ten. Uh, no bad haircuts. Never, never, no. never seen him with a bad haircut. No, and he no. lived through the aughts, man. He's been through the he's been through the eighties, nineties, aughts, and aughts teen years. Yeah, let's go through some of his contemporaries. Brad Pitt, lots of bad haircuts. Super bad haircut, especially like that, like uh, being Joe Black haircut. Oh, Oof. that was not Oof. good. Not good. Oof. Leo, bad haircuts. Leo. Yeah. Titanic is just a case study of bad haircuts. <laughs> <laughs> the nineties were generally unkind. Tom to Cruise, everyone. ton of bad Ooh. haircuts. Tom yeah. Cruise, Tom Cruise. I'll contend that Tom Cruise has never had a bad day, hair day in his life. Whoa! For okay. the simple reason that Tom Cruise is too confident a sociopath to ever imagine having a bad. <laughs> That's hair. fair. That's fair. You're one of those <laughs> missions. You're one of those Mission Impossible two truthers, aren't you? It's not bad. Like it works for that That's stupid fair. moment in time where that was an okay haircut for a human person to have. <laughs> it was just for about four years. Yeah, just four years, and he had to be in that one span. Any other order that would have been terrible, but he worked it. He rocked he, it. He doesn't sleep. He's just doing his hair in his off time. So no. if you've if you've uh, put the pieces together by now, listener, there's not a lot of things to hate about Keanu. There isn't. But hello and Welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast. We gather around a table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course. This week's film <laughs> is Keanu. Um, it's not really part of our Keanu Reeves marathon, but it is directly related to it because the cat's name is Keanu. It's an appropriate epilogue. And uh, I guess we need to do some introductions. Uh, we'll do the, the, the obvious ones first. I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. Um, I am still Dalton, and canonically, I'm married uh, because of when this is being put into your ears. I'm not actually married right now, and I wish I was because, ooh, it's crunch time. I, I wish you were too, so I'd be done. <laughs> so you also wouldn't be in crunch time. Yes. We have a, a guest here today, uh, multi-hyphenate, one of my favorite people in Oklahoma City. I got called a multi-hyphenate. That's just beautiful. Thank you. I feel like I got to introduce somebody as a multi-hyphenate. It was also like Donald Glover before Star, before Han Solo, that movie that he shouldn't have made because well, he should have. He's the only person to do Long Lando. I'm not gonna get into that. Hi, hey, introduce yourself. My name is Cameron Brewer. I am a uh, comedian, poet, activist, and general lover of life and humanity in this great state of Oklahoma. Uh, I also know Dalton from high school. Yeah, we've known each other for a long time. Yeah, like, I was, le I was legit went back and looked over, like, what are the connections I still have from, like, 10 years ago? Cause, like, my 10 year anniversary is coming up. It's, like, you and two other people. It's a short list for me, too. It's a yeah. Very <laughs> short list. Long time listeners will remember Cameron from our bonus show on us, as well as his episode of The People's History of Film with Dalton. Uh, so yeah, it's fun to, have him here on the show. He's a friend of the family. 
Yeah, Cameron has one of the uh, great sort of job titles that I just love. He's a spoken word artist, and um, that's just kind of awesome. It was the only thing that didn't. It, here's the thing: you can't call yourself a spoken word artist without sounding like a pretentious asshole. But it's what I <laughs> unless am, it's and I, true. And that's the thing: it's what I do. It's what I want to be doing, and it's kind of the only thing that I have like natural talent at. So I just kind of own the title and. I was like, maybe if I just say it out loud, I'll be good at it. It's a it's a tricky needle to thread. You're doing great, bud. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hope now, I'm... in case you're tuning into the show for the very first time, we need to warn you, dear listener, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show. And that does mean there are going to be spoilerific spoiler ridges throughout this show. We will generally avoid them a little bit with our thumbs down, thumbs down reviews. But after that, we don't care anymore, and neither should you. So uh, if you have yet to get to Keanu and you don't want to be spoiled about whether or not they do indeed save the cat um, to take the title from the uh, very, very famous screenwriting handbook, um, you will find out uh, that very quickly once we get into um, our analyses. So um, I'm just warning you about all of that. So without any further ado, though, let's run around the table and let's do our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews of Keanu. Do you like it and do you not? by being wrong, and why. I go to you first, Dalton. Keanu is a film that I had not seen for quite quite a while. Uh, I saw it in theaters, hadn't revisited it uh, until for the show, and I, I had forgotten that there are moments that you kind of forget this is a comedy. Uh, the film does such a good job of setting up dramatic stakes and putting uh, Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele's characters in such real active danger for so much of the film that there are moments you completely forget uh, that you're watching a comedy until somebody shows you their new George Michaels tattoo, and you're like, oh, that's right, this is funny. Uh, or until Anna Ferris shows up with a katana. Th- this movie is wild, uh, and it- it's so fun. Um, for listeners who need a little refresher, this comes out, God, I think the year uh, the year Key and Peele, the show ends, or the year after, so it's kind of a coda for Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele's collaboration on TV together, uh, and I think it works so well. Because it, it, it does a lot of the same things that that show did. It's uh, interrogating a lot of the same issues, but it's also similar just in terms of the way the comedy is done. It's taking a funny premise and letting it breathe and letting it go to its logical, uh, absurd conclusion. Uh, I think it's a hoot. Uh, yeah, I, I just I love this movie. I love all the weird twists and turns. I love that the cat is so cute that everyone that encounters it is drawn to it. Uh, it is a wild time, and uh, I think we're having a good time talking about it. I think so, too. Well, hey, Cameron, do you um, like this movie or not by being wrong? And tell me why. I, I, I So, kind of like Dalton, I hadn't seen it since it came out in theaters, and so I did a rewatch of it. And I really enjoy it because it's basically just a long-form Key and Peele sketch. Yeah. And, like, that's... They're really good at their sketches, turns out. Um, they, it has a really interesting sense of humor. It has a really solid, grounded approach to like analyzing things like race, masculinity, and stuff like that. But it also has like a genuinely delightful series of just left turns that you just don't think are coming. Like I think of like the real Allentown brothers just like showing up at the very end to like cause genuine terror and horror for like that entire sequence of where they're about to torture like Key and Peele. And it's just one of those things that I just, I, it was introduced early on. It was teased throughout the thing and then it happened. And I was like, this really paid off. I would say probably the only thing that I didn't particularly like, and this is probably just like a product of like the time it was made. And also because like, I don't know, like 
she wasn't like especially like popular then. It just total waste of Tiffany Haddish as an actor. Like Yeah, the film can almost like you feel like everybody knows that they have cast somebody that's about to be a big deal. Yeah. But it, it definitely seems like they're not a hundred percent sure how to use her. Exactly. Like I don't know like what the like writing process or what like, the character was supposed to be. Uh I think it like has like allusions to the wire because like for, uh, Method Man plays a character called Cheddar. He literally he plays is, a character. He's yes. a he plays a character with a type of cheese. And if you don't know about like uh, the Wire, Method Man played a character called Cheese. Uh, cheese stands alone, and Cheese gets his head blown off. Um, but I would say that like I, for like the character that she plays, she does a really good job. I just wish that she had like a lot more funny lines, a lot more kind of room to work. Because immediately after that, she goes and does girls tripping like. And immediately becomes my favorite comedic actress of the decade. So, all right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Brewer. What do you say, Arthur? Are you right or are you wrong? And tell me why. I think I'm on the right. I, I do like this movie. I, I enjoy it. I um, I think uh, to your both your points, uh, Dalton and Cameron, it, it plays to a lot of the strengths of the show itself, of those sketches, um, that very uh, unique and particular brand of humor that they have uh, together uh, works very well here. Um, I think that kind of like the Saturday Night Live movies of the 90s, that's also kind of a, a hindrance for it at times as well as things kind of try to segue between almost segments of the movie when they're kind of transitioning. But there's stuff, uh, the the minivan sequence as he's getting the uh, the blips to open up to him over George Michael oh, so is gosh, a great so beat. Uh, it's so well played. Uh, and then just the, you know, the chemistry, the back and forth and improv of, of uh, Key and Pill themselves is, is just so good. They're so fun together. Uh, I actually really like Tiffany Haddish here. Uh, to your point, I can, I can see it as a kind of a very subdued character. I mean, the character itself, I don't think is very well written, but I, I don't always love Tiffany's uh, performances just because she can be so over the top sometimes uh, if she's not balanced well. And uh, so I kind of like seeing a different side of her here. Um, but, you know, it's before she really developed that persona that we've kind of known her as in, in pop culture. Um, but yeah, Method Man was another one. I, I really dug his, his performance here. I don't think I've seen him in anything since, you know, How High. Uh, right. And so oh, we're, uh, we're going to talk about How High later. Yeah. Uh, no, this is a uh, good return to form. <laughs> uh, so I, I really dug kind of doing some, I mean, some, some comedy beats, obviously, but something a little more serious as well. So I, I'd really like to see Method do something. Uh, with a lot more teeth and do a lot more depth and, and something, you know, some serious drama or, or heavy action, stuff like that. Sounds like it's time for you to watch The Wire, Arthur. Yeah, Sounds, yeah. yeah. Well, well, that's, there's well, a lot of Method Man so in a serious role, that's The Wire 100%. All right. I'll have to do it then. I'll it, have it, to do it just for for uh, for Method. It's um, worth it. Yeah, but overall, though, yeah, I, I, I dig this quite a bit. I, I, I really enjoy the, the comedy. I laugh a lot. Uh, the cat, uh, the cats, there are seven cats that they use in this film. Uh, they had to keep getting new cats because of the length of shoot. They would age up, uh, so they had to keep bringing in new kittens. And they were rescue. I was kittens. wondering how that worked. That yeah, genuine. I was so worried because, like, I was like, "How are they keeping this cat this age?" I was like, "It has to be like a different cat every time." But I can't see like the differences. I'm not going to go yeah. there. It was Milo and Otis. They just kept killing him. <laughs> oh, no. And I think you know that's to the film's favor and to the the animal handlers as well to keep getting these really strong performances from these multiple cats is is really. Uh, I think speaks to everybody's abilities on the crew. Um, so yeah, this is a fun movie. It's a, a lot of fun to kind of watch this following uh, this Keanu thing and all of the John Wick hype that happened in May. Uh, and so yeah, I'm I'm a fan. Uh, it's really funny. They didn't. Uh, 
the ways in which this film like runs parallel to John Wick are totally incidental. I found out. Yeah. Um, they, both films were in production at the same time and had no idea of each other's existence until well into shooting, which I think is just really, really funny. I absolutely thought this was a prequel to John Wick. I, I know, right? It's a solid. It, it feels like it takes place in the John Wick universe well, at the very least. Yeah. The, the feel actually is it is a John Wick film in which you drop Key and Peele. That's what you've done. Yeah. You just drop yeah. these two comedic actors into these roles, you know, and they're doing their same shtick that they always do within a really, really well shot bit of action crime cinema. And uh, it is so much fun. Um, all the things that have been said so far around the table, I totally agree with. I just want to shout out Luis Guzman uh, because so good. I, anytime he's on screen, he's I'm, so just, fun. I'm so happy. We haven't gone down the, the list of people that show up in this movie just to remind you that they're wonderful. Will, Will Forte, Forte, Anna Faris, Luis Guzman. It's it's a good time. Uh, Daryl Britt Gibson. Uh, I don't Neil know if any Long. Of, uh, do you guys do any of you watch You're the Worst? No. Uh, no. He plays a character called Shitstain on You're the Worst, and he's so good. <laughs> um, I had in my notes to talk about Jason Mitchell, but some things have happened recently, and yeah. I'm less excited about one no, of my favorite a, actors now, which is a bummer. That was one of those things that was like, as I was re-watching, I was like, oh, shit. This yeah. is not something I didn't with, know would age unwell. Within a week yeah. of my watching. Which one is, who is he? Uh, he play, I forget his character name. Uh, he's, um, he's the, he's the, he's the one, he doesn't get the George Michael tattoo. He, he gets. Is he Bud? Or uh, Trunk? Uh, I think not he's Trunk. Bud. He's yeah. Bud. Bud. He's okay. Bud. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Jason Mitchell from Mudbound and, uh, oh, yeah. uh Straight Out Compton. Oh, yeah. Right on. Uh, Mudbound. Yeah. Yeah, I know. God. He's so young in this that I didn't recognize him at first. And I was like, he looked familiar, but I couldn't place him. I had yeah. to look it up. Mudbound yeah. Mud so is it, though. good. Yep. Oh yeah, we we're we're big Mudbound. Uh, oh yeah, mud, we're mud, big Mudbound fans here. Yeah. There we go. Mudboundies. We're that's what we call mud ourselves. Bound, Mudbounders. Well, I like Mudbounders. Yeah, that works. But but as I was saying, Dalton, right. I like the movie a lot. <laughs> Sorry, bud. <laughs> Mudboundless. It, 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 it's it's real good. Do you have any other points you want to make while I'm talking about how it's oh, good? I'm such a piece of shit. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but no, it, it's it's a great time. Uh, really, really well shot, and uh, just that opening sequence, uh, that homage to the Matrix, and the various homages throughout to uh, Keanu Reeves' filmography. It just it makes it at this big meta ton of fun that's saying something that's having some conversation with some real um issues and so uh it's definitely uh much better than it deserves to be considering what you might have on paper like, like two comedians their cat gets stolen they've got to take on drug lords to do it like oh, this is going to be big dumb fun but it's kind of smart dumb fun and yeah. that's kind of awesome it's really good so, so there you go dear listener those are our opinions they are mostly pro regarding this particular film and uh, we're going to get right on down to doing the things that we do and that begins with expanding the syllabus so here is the scenario guys you are that's the sound of your brain getting galaxy branded. Uh, you are teaching a film studies course of okay. some sort, or some sort of course in which uh, the assignment of the week is a film, and that film is Keanu. And then you have to also have supplementary readings and or watchings and or whatevers uh, from various and sundry texts of media. We know that text is beyond the page, so we must select them accordingly. I go to you first, Arthur. What do you say when you expand the syllabus? Well, I, you know, if, if this is a main course on that on that list, uh, I think that I would uh, first say, uh, obviously, Key and Peele, the, the sketch show. We've we've name dropped it several times, and and the the type of humor, the themes that are presented here in Keanu are in every episode of Key and Peele. It's it's a hoot to watch, and just two incredibly sharp minds just go into town on some sketch comedy, and it's it's a good time. Uh, uh, while watching this, I thought a lot about the wrong man formula. 
Uh, and so I think you got to go Hitchcock. And I was kind of debating back and forth between a couple of titles. But because of the comic overtones, I thought a lot about North by Northwest with Gary Grant. Nice play. Uh, where he's kind of stuck in this situation he's not really privy to or, you know, prepared for. Uh, and he's using his humor a lot to kind of uh, cancel out some of the, the situations and then lo- loosen that tension. And so I think that one is one um, which really lays the groundwork not only for, you know, some of the wrong man stuff, but also some of the globetrotting type uh, James Bond-esque films that would come later. And so I'd go with that. And then I was kind of doing some research, reading some articles on uh, code switching and things like that. And, and one of the big topics, obviously, is Sorry to Bother You, uh, which I would also pair here as well, I think, uh, with the themes going on, that that is another one that would really round out uh, this conversation of using comedy. You know, we don't do comedy a lot on the show because we find it's hard to find those analysis bits. Uh, but this is one of those comedies that really has those themes and sorry to bother use another one. And I think they just pair very well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for that. Mr. Arthur Gordon, Mr. Cameron Brewer, how would you expand the syllabus? Um, if I had to think I would probably, I, I don't want to agree on the sorry to bother you on uh, note. I think like the idea of code watching is pretty prominently addressed, like throughout the whole, like theme of the movie throughout the whole plot of the movie and like kind of like it becomes part of this like comic foil of like how do we like enact ourselves but also make these like hardcore gangsters like also like they're comfortable around us um like which i think like is part of like the great charming comedy of the good like the george michael like sequence in the car it's just brilliant absolutely brilliant um i was looking at a couple other just like thinking about like the action comedy genre and like the way it's been played uh, I gotta give it up to, like, just kind of, like, OG action comedy, so, like, um, Beverly Hills Cop, I think, is, like, an essential watch, uh, just, like, anything where you have, like, a character who's clearly, like, out of water and out of their element, but also just enacting a very specific, like, persona in the world to kind of, like, fit into these places, it's really, feels really good. Um, I was kind of looking at some of the books I was reading and just trying to see if there's anything, like, that kind of fits into this. I really like the idea of, um, God, what was it called? I wish I would have wrote this down. Um, screw it. I can't remember. So we can't talk about it, I guess. Um, no, uh, also some like really, uh, intense, like old school, like black comedies, like, um, thinking of Harlem nights, something like that, where like, you have like these, like really just like great, wonderful, like cast of color who are just like really just allowed to like, kind of let the scenes play out however they want to and like making that like, kind of really good comedy. I'm going to talk about Eddie Murphy a lot because like, despite the fact that he's like, eh, he's also like just kind of a benchmark for like great action comedies or great like comedies with cast of color specifically. Um, I would also say if you're kind of in the mood for it, like definitely peace, peer down the rabbit hole at some of the great Keanu Reeves titles that have been featured here today. There's lots of great references to Keanu Reeves and a lot of great references to like kind of the things that he's interested, the kind of the things that like relate to his career or relate to like around his career. Um, still just ridiculously got him to just be like on for like that one voice acting segment. That was, it's an incredible moment. It really is. It, it, I've, I remembered it happened, but I forgot for the movie and then it happened. I was like, Oh shit. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah. Uh, I know I'm going to have something else to say because I'm looking at my thesis the second you all like run around to me. So I might add things as I go. Is that okay? Feel free to jump back in. Yeah. We'll do. Yeah, we do that all the time here. So, Dalton, you're expanding the syllabus. How are you doing it? Well, I, I started off thinking about um, male friendship films. Um, and I, I tried to, I was like, all right, well, I wanted to stay contemporary, at least within, you know, six to ten years or so. Um, and the one that kept coming to mind is I, I Love You, Man. I think both films 
do a really good job of kind of the odd couple pairing. You've got the friend that smokes too much weed, the friend that doesn't smoke enough, and the ways in which those different ways of living life navigate each other and how those friendships kind of complete each other in these stories, both in Keanu and I Love You, Man. Uh, I just think they both do a really good job of uh, interrogating this idea that sometimes the, the person that is going to help you feel fullest is not always going to be romantic partners. It is sometimes going to be your friendships, the people that um, you know remind you of who you want to be. And, you know, again, finding emotional truth in comedies, I think, is a big deal. Like, as Arthur said, there's a reason we don't go to the comedy well a whole, whole lot on the show. Um, but I think if you if you look for the right comedies, you will find something in there. And I think, again, I Love You Man does a really good job of having that emotional truth. Um, I do want to also mention How High. Uh, I haven't seen this movie since I was like 12, uh, but I used to watch it on Comedy Central all the time. And uh, it was my first exposure to Method Man, uh, even before I got into Wu-Tang. Uh, Method Man, as a comedic actor, was my first exposure to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think him and Red Man are... So funny in that movie, and it's doing something kind of similar in weird ways to Keanu. It is still a fish-out-of-water story, but instead of characters um, modulating who they are, it is about characters kind of embracing who they are and making the world around them uh, accept them for who they are in an interesting way, which does sort of kind of, uh, by the end of this film, become uh, what Jordan Peele and King Michael Key's characters are doing. They start being more true to themselves and finding a way to exist within this world that does not want them. Um, so again, I, I think it's fun pairing. And then another college film that deals with race, a uh, contemporary of uh, this film, Dear White People, Justin Simeon's film from 2016. Um, just a really, really good movie. And again, a, a film that is dealing with a lot of the same subject matter in a much, while still heightened way, uh, in terms of just shooting style. And it's got this very kind of heavily production design look to it. Um, it is still like much more grounded than Keanu in, in a lot of very obvious ways, but I think still does a good job of uh, talking about code switching, but not in terms of uh, characters entering spaces uh, of, you know, where everybody's of the same ethnic background, but how does that get even more complicated when it is part of a world that is actively uh, supporting white supremacy as opposed to a, uh, uh, an environment where people feel out of place more for you know socioeconomic reasons. So I think these are all really interesting pairings that are just going to also be a fun time. I tried to pick movies that were still pretty fun, uh, but still kind of fit within Keanu's themes pretty well. I don't believe in fun, and so... <laughs> yeah, you only pick sad, sad Norwegian films to pair sad, with this, huh? Sad, sad things. Um, so the first thing is um, some pretty heavy-duty reading. Um, there's a theorist called Franz uh, Fanon, uh, who is a, a Mauritanian. Oh. Um, um, that's a Caribbean islander uh, by way of Algeria. He's a French-language writer, um, but um, he's black. And uh, he uh, wrote a great book called uh, Black Skin, White Masks. And uh, there's a chapter in there called The, uh, the Fact of Blackness. And so that'd be the initial thing that I would assign for reading because it talks about how language itself is a form of colonization and how uh, it sort of begins those conversations that we're having now about code switching and the way that those things work and begins to talk about how uh, the way one has to enunciate in a particular kind of way. And one of Fanon's, you know, sort of personal tics is he insisted on speaking a Creole French rather than French because real French is white French and he's not going to play. Uh, which I always thought was kind of brilliant uh, about him. So I would assign that essay uh, talking about using uh, the lingua franca of a particular area, but then sort of turning it and twisting it to your 
your own ends, which is exactly what I think Keanu the film does. And then my other film pairing then, which is the movie I think – every time we talk about African-American cinema in any sort of way, I think I talk about this movie. Um, but it's Charles Burnett's Killer of Sheep from 1978. You do bring it up a lot. Um, and it, it is a great movie. And uh, the particular reason for this film's usage here is – is that it is very much an Italian neorealist film. But unlike, say, Rome Open City, which is a movie about sort of humanism and uh, finding humanity in the midst of and despite um, totalitarianism, uh, what Burnett does is he takes his Italian neorealist style and he places it in Watts in 1978 uh, in a time of great unrest and uh, begins to sort of play with uh, some of those, uh, again, the, 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 what, what, what's the word I'm looking for? The, uh, the legacy of white supremacy, and then also just the general poverty that is experienced in that place. And, and of course, uh, the film is a, a set of vignettes. It's not really narratively constructed. It almost feels like a non-narrative film, but there there is a thread, but you sort of have to work for it to get there. But the way he plays with the style, not necessarily a genre, because uh, Italian neorealism, you might say, is it a genre, is it a style, is that film noir conversation? And what uh, uh, Key and Peele are doing here in Keanu is they're using the stylistic trappings of an action crime film, but they're doing something completely different to subvert it. And so Burnett's subversion, I think, is of a piece with uh, the same kind of subversion that we find uh, in um, Killer of Sheep, which I think could be tied together with Fanon's um, essay there, uh, or chapter, um, on the fact of blackness. So that would be my approach uh, in teaching this This film. feels like as good a time as any to bring up that uh, the film is actually directed by Peter Atencio, yeah. who uh, worked with uh, Key and Peele a lot on the sketch show. It's just worth bringing up since we're talking about stylistic choices, and I uh, just want to make sure we gave some love. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, I think with that... Cameron, do you have anything come up? Um, so one of the things that I really appreciated was... Some of the work that um, uh, Tom Coates has done recently, um, specifically the, the book Between the World and Me, which talks specifically about, like, not just does he feel like there is a space between him and, like, the space between him and, like, the idealized dream of, like, white America, but there's also, like, a specific space between him and the corner boys he saw on the street, the same space between him and, like, the lofty black rich people that he, like, visit, knew whenever he was um in college or like him between like just like this sort of general space in the world and trying to find like the specific uh intersection what is a space for him to both be uh fully seen and fully incorporating all of himself but at the same time like recognizing that all the structures kind of around him push him into like specific boxes and recognizing that his son is going to be specifically put into those boxes and how he's going to navigate them and so it's just like the entire book is just like a long narrative form letter about like his experience with race and understanding. Um, but like it really talks a lot about like how do you like incorporate your identity into like spaces that just don't feel comfortable, especially whenever like there's only two scripts that you're supposed to like follow or what is what does that mean? And so there's a lot of like I'm really interested in that and like that kind of specific reading in the movie. Uh, another thing, um, going back to my list. Um, Stuart Hall, Cultural Identity and Diaspora, uh, just a solid piece of just identity analysis that says, like, there is this sort of connected tissue amongst, uh, like, people of the African diaspora, whether they are um, black people from the islands, Africans from the continent, uh, black people in America, or black people kind of around the world and all the spaces that they exist. And how there's sort of this connective tissue there, but, like, beyond that, there is this um idea that like this identity is marginalized in a specific way 
And if we're going to address that, we have to recognize the sort of interconnectivity of it, but also recognize it as like a regional thing. Um, Stuart Hall's great, especially if you want to like to talk about like how like identity shapes culture, um, because culture is effectively just like sort of a representative uh, uh, amalgamation of all the different things that we come together to like talk about, which are like um, how we see ourselves, how we see the world, and all the things, and all those things are influenced by our identities and who we are as people, and all these wonderful things that get really messy and horrifying sometimes. Um, trying to think of anything else, uh, I think any sort of like movie that talks specifically about the criminal justice system as it relates to like the as it relates to like black people in twenty the. Well, forever, but specifically, like, in, like... Yeah, the, for, forever is good. <laughs> forever, but specifically, like, in, like, the late, uh, or, like, the mid to late 20 uh, teens, uh, Michelle Alexander's um, The New Jim Crow is kind of an essential reading. I would say for everyone, just because of, like, the the whole time I was watching this movie, and it kind of gets to the end, so no one, like, spoil it too much. Well, I guess we can. Yeah, we're, we, we're, we don't care. We're, we're, we're safely into, uh... Yeah, we've stopped It's caring. okay if you didn't watch the movie yet. Territory. So, like, the last, like, scenes of the movie, like, whenever, like, uh, Tiffany Hatch's character, High C, reveals that she's an undercover cop, my first and only thought was, oh, shit, these two are going to jail. Like, there's no reason for them not to. They sold drugs in front of her, uh, were privy to a murder, have possibly murdered another person, another two people that they just didn't weren't there for, and have been effectively just running wild to the streets of L.A. for the past, like, thing. They're definitely going to jail. And they did. Yeah. And it's not like there's some fun ending in, like, a, like, traditional, like, buddy comedy where people, like, just kind of, like, parade through. It's, like, two white dudes are like, we're crazy and we're going down, like, do all this crazy shit like no like there's consequences for their actions the like, matter of fact nature with which uh jordan peele goes oh yeah this makes sense <laughs> when he gets the cuffs left on it's just like fuck yeah yeah this this, this makes sense we commit a lot of crimes um and they just yeah and so that little little bit at the end of it kind of like reinforces some of the things that i think specifically um point to how jordan peele and how, how uh sorry key and peel see the world and kind of interact in like the whole space and so and also just like is the logical natural conclusion as they typically follow with any of their sketches so alrighty alrighty well I think now it's time to get down to business it's That's right, dear listener, that business is, as always, analysis. And uh, one of the things that we try to do on this show is we try to keep the cookies on the bottom shelf and uh, keep everybody caught up with what we're talking about here. And uh, we've already been throwing around a little bit of terminology here, so I think we might take a moment before we actually dig into the film proper to do some term definitions. Uh, code switching. Somebody go. I get to pop out my sociology degree for once. It's dusty. Uh yeah, I know. It's oh. been a while. It's it's crusty. Hey, it's currently it's okay. earning you more money than uh, any time you've used it. Yeah, yeah, right now. <laughs> Literally in this Thanks, moment Patreon. is the most I've ever used it. Thanks, patrons. Uh, it's cold. Yeah, so there's this sub-school of sociology uh, that uh, talks about this idea called dramaturgy, right? And it's, it's super straightforward. The, as far as I can't remember the guy's name, it's not important, uh, but he's fairly recent in terms of sociological theorists. They're usually very old and very dead. Uh, this guy I think is also dead, but, uh, the theory comes around like 60s, 70s. Very dead? That's like a little dead. Dead's like a binary state, right? That's a good point. Okay. My point is, uh, this guy approaches sociology from this really micro lens of being like, well, yeah, societal things, systems are important, but how do we 
relate to each other and uh, introduced this idea called dramaturgy. I'm assuming it's because he was a theater nerd. Uh, but again, it's just the idea of, of code switching, essentially. It's, he, was, he didn't use that terminology, but it was the face that you present to people uh, both in your private life and your personal life and the ways in which those masks get traded out. So code switching is just, um, again, we're going to talk more about that, but it falls into this school of looking at social interactions as a big play, essentially. Okay. Okay. So the next thing I think we need to talk about then, um, maybe I'll do Judith Butler, maybe not, performative identity. Which is probably where we need to go ahead and get more refined on code switching then. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I can take this because I taught this for two years. Nice. Um, performative identity is um, the idea um, that identity is not something that is um, prescribed. Uh, Identity is not something that is uh, inherent to one's being. It is performed through specific actions and enacting of the self. So if you perform in a certain way, that is who you are. Um, so look, you have something. No, that. no. I was just was watching you rapidly. Oh, okay. Sorry. It's because uh, you're so handsome. I, 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 I'm feeling handsome today. <laughs> I'm feeling very handsome today. It's a good shirt. Thanks. Uh, this is the Fat Boy Party shirt of 2018. <laughs> Like, I saw another dude who had this shirt, like, out in the world, and I was like, I know exactly why you got that shirt and where you got that shirt. It's okay. I feel you. Um, so, um, performing identity, like, has a lot of things to do with, like, the fact that, like, identity is something that's, like, inherent to the self. It's something that has to be informed. Uh, specifically that, like, it is performed through the actions, the ways that we communicate. Um, uh, so specifically dealing with, like, how, like, how it connects to, like, maybe the movie, uh, our, method of communicating or the way in which our communication is perceived by others helps to determine who we are in the world at the very least how we're seen performance also has a lot of weird things because it's basically reliant on the fact that society has certain cultural scripts for like what performance looks like so it's like um just to use the film as an example in order to be perceived as a black person you have to perform a specific type of blackness um this of course gets uh, messy for a lot of different reasons, but that's what film analysis is for. Uh, okay, just to further break it down Crayola style uh, to bring those two terms together, what we're saying is is that um, identity is not essential. You're not born with it. It's not a thing that is fundamental to your being as on in, in an ontological sense. That that's not that's not what you are. What you are is taught and is learned and is performed and the what's are racial as we're talking about mostly today they're also in terms of gender they're also in terms of sexuality nationality and uh even some other uh you know sort of subcategories affinity groups etc and that a person is given a script they're given lines to read in a particular kind of inflection in a particular kind of way in which they perform what it means to be well for instance bruce willis performs masculinity in a specific way in die hard is one of the great examples from Richard Dyer is that he performs manliness by shrugging off pain. He performs manliness by quoting, you know, old John Wayne movies and mm -hmm. doing those kind of things. And so he does man that way because he's taught that that's not essential to who he is. It is the role that he has been given and he has taken it upon himself. And these bits of theory, what they do is they question the roles themselves. They question their efficacy, their usefulness, and also their morality, and then begin to say, what other ways could we begin to improvise life? Well, and I think that's where uh, Keanu kind of really opens up a little bit, right? Because yes. obviously the, 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 the very surface easy stuff to get to, uh, the ways in which uh, they, they perform blackness as soon as they enter the, the Blips Club, 
is it Keegan or is it who is it that that shouts out the other one for being like, of course you you went to the word immediately, but it, it's yeah. not even just that, right? I mean, that's obviously there, but it's the way they perform masculinity too. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I've done a lot of murders. <laughs> like the, the the immediate equation uh, of violence with masculinity is the, one of the first things and only things that they know to do is to talk about all the murders they've done, mm-hmm. allegedly, that they, they haven't done. But Different to, murders and dick cuttings and things like that. <laughs> the dick I forgot about the dicks. <laughs> yeah, just... How, how, how can you... How can I forget? <laughs> Snuck on a, on a guy. Just the idea of Jordan Peele staring Anna Ferris in the face for multiple takes saying, I cut off two dicks. <laughs> so good. That's the best part of the movie for me. That whole sequence is incredible. Yeah, it's great. It, it's pretty fantastic. Um, here, here's a, I guess the assumption of the film that it is that is being questioned is that uh, black masculinity specifically looks like Method Man. Uh, Method Man looks specifically yeah. looks like. Well, I was even going to go further back, like '90s gangster rap in general. Mm, okay, you know, I mean, yeah. it looks like Snoop Dogg or Dre or whatever. Um, and that the, if you're not performing your masculinity like that, you're not, you're not, you're not authentically black. In a moment like that, is, is 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 that part of the assumption that's sort of being interrogated by the film, and how do we see that working out? Yeah, I mean that's kind of the base assumption of the film is that like in order for them to fit into X culture or X cultural space, they have to perform a specific type of black masculinity, and it's reinforced by just the people around them. Um, like whenever they meet Cheddar for the first time, Cheddar performs a very specific, like very. Um, very like i said a very specific type of black masculinity uh everyone around cheddar like enacts a similar type of like masculinity or masculine like posturing in order to like um like be a part of this thing but um i think one of the interesting things is the second like they're introduced to like an alternative script and like given ways to connect with it they latch on to it yeah the the ways when um Key is explaining the the emotion of george michael's to them, like yeah. the fact that the thing that connects them immediately is the pain of performing masculinity. Yeah, no, that's like the whole thing. Yeah, it's it's none of the bullshit about the murders. It's like, oh, I didn't have a father figure either. Yeah, like, uh, yes, is George Michael singing about being your daddy? Yes, but more importantly, <laughs> he's singing about being your daddy. <laughs> and it's yeah, no, it, that's it. and I think even uh, Method Man gets a little do a little bit of that. I think Cheddar has these moments where, especially the way he talks about uh, the cat, like, the, you see even the the toughest guy in the movie is showing you these glimpses of, like, the actual person underneath the facade, which I think is super cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's another thing that's uh, just another layer of sort of rollback in that the uh, you sound like Richard Pryor doing a white guy. <laughs> um, the, the, that Such a specific, a good reference. perfect cultural reference. That like speaks to like like literally generations of understandings of like what like performative like performative blackness and performative whiteness look like. It's just so good. Well, and I, I think this is where the the sort of hegemony of white culture is, is is sort of exposed in a very very interesting kind of way. Because you know, I mean, Key and Peele are both you know black men, and they're both living you know their characters are both living you know black lives. Although one of them's called Clarence and the other one's called Ralph. Rel. Rel. Rel, mm-hmm. which is uh, you know different. Uh, you know, it's a very but, specific but, like choice there. And I think that it's important. I think it's really. It's very purposeful, obviously, because they play off the comedic value of it, but also just, like, it is just super indicative of, like, a very specific divide uh, that was kind of propagated in, like, the, like, late 90s and mid-2000s, mid to early 
2000s about like the sort of separation between like what it means to be like a good black person heavy air quotes versus like a bad black person and like they're find themselves sort of in a weird end of that like very bionistic spectrum so it it creates this weird anxiety though it it seems like what they what they experience when they finally make their way to the hpv club which is the best name for a strip club ever um, but when they're Hot there, uh, they, they, they find themselves in a way that they, they are questioning their own authenticity as black men because they don't talk like Method Man most of the time. Like they do have to perform it and the, 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 the fact that they have to perform it seems to, you know, illustrate that there's, if I, if I'm educated, if I'm, you know, all those sort of stupid things that, you know, very well spoken, whatever. Yeah. Uh, things that people say. If I if those things are what describe me, am I really that? Like, there's a spectrum of blackness that it creates, right? Well, we haven't talked about this at all yet, but I think it, it's relevant to to bring up that uh, Keegan Michael Key and Jordan Peele are both biracial, and I think that has really informed a lot of their work. And just that specific experience gives them a, a lens for talking about not just race but code switching and and all these ways about the way culture at large perceives race i think it it gives an interesting light and i think the the fact that they have like an ethical discussion of like you can't talk like that in here he's like talk like what i'm talking like me uh and then immediately as soon as the fear enters it's like no okay never mind (laughs) i'll I'll play a role uh to get the hell out of here but i I think the, the lens that they have really enters that that question of authenticity uh, that you you brought up Dustin. Right. And I and I think it is white cultural hegemony that that does that inscribes and interpolates, right? You know, um that that it hails that this is what blackness looks like and the choice that blackness looks like method man is intentionally um, it's a white supremacist. It's a white supremacist move because that's. Uh, it also denotes criminality. It also uh, denotes a sense of danger. It, dis- it denotes a sense of class in terms of economics, and uh, it, there's just a sense of uh, just a lack of education. And so, by doing those things, interpreta- interpolating that particular blackness, and then these guys uh, don't have those particular markers that they feel a, a weird tension about who they actually are as people um and they and that that tension's brought to light when they show up in the club yeah you you've mentioned something about uh just talking, the, the hegemony of whiteness and I, I was as i was watching keanu i kept trying to think of is there a code switching movie about white people because i, I think we, we've talked a lot about code switching in this film but to, to pretend that code switching is, is a, most wanted damn shit you're right yeah there's wow, gotta, you got be, it. There's got to be some hillbilly movie. Thank you. But that's yeah. I, that's what my yeah. first thought was, was not, I mean, I, oh, that's a good movie, too. I mean, yeah, I mean, like, Malibu's yeah. Most Wanted is really just, like, one of the most interesting, I it doesn't really hold up for a lot of reasons, but it's an interesting, like, cultural artifact in that it's, like, here is a, here's Jamie Kennedy, our... Our, our our sovereign weird boy uh <laughs> engaging in like this very specific performative like blackness and like how everyone around him sort of interrogates him and says this is not something you should be doing why are you doing this and recognizing that the specific like that like this cultural um this cultural script is something that like is very understood and un- and sort of like not just like a part of like how like it is to enact like a black person, but how like white people see black people. And I think that's like the much more important conversation to have. It's like how, like how white people, how white culture being the dominant culture of our, of like you know, of the United States of America 
kind of points to the fact that like any sort of script that revolves around blackness primarily goes to that first lens, right? It's that first lens of saying, here's how we see black people. Here's our understanding of black people. And so in order to feel valid in that cultural script, they have to, black people end up, uh, especially, specifically like uh, talking about black men here, engaging those cultural scripts because they think that that's the only way that they can sort of enact themselves. And it's not to say that like, there is no sort of like outside of that for like black men to like kind of find, but like, it's a hard thing to push against because that's what everyone tells you. It's what people say is important. It's what gets like people. Um, it's 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 the prominent cultural script. And like this, I think the really weird thing about it is sort of like the unfortunate thing is that like movies like that, movies like Malibu Soul Swan, like really just push a very um, specific like reconciliation narrative. It's like it's okay. You could be you can perform blackness, and black people will eventually accept you. Um, don't do that. Don't, yeah, don't. It's, like that's it's not a good message for the no, It's a horrible message. But I think like it's uh, it's fascinating to see that like there is a kind of universal understanding of what blackness is. Like you can look at any of the like the like there was a high school, not in Oklahoma, thank God, but there's a high school somewhere somewhere in America that like had like a um, it was a thug day at school. No, yeah. So like all the kids, all these. All the hundreds of white kids who went there came in like uh, do rags and uh, like basketball gear and stuff like that and Jordans, and it's like they know what the script is, they know what it is, and like they understand that it exists. And it's like for them, and like so, like there's no like that cultural idea is there, and I don't know. There's like um, this is something we can add into like the syllabus. Uh, I like the show The New Negroes a lot because it's doing actively like sort of expanding what the script of blackness is on television fairly regularly like they have like comedians kind of from across like the like spectrum of like black comics who traditionally get like a lot of like regular play but are also performing like they're very like very centered racial material that they may not get to like play all the time and so it's really cool to see like especially in a show like comedy station like comedy central which has kind of been like a weird place for like racial politics to play out but like in a good way it's interesting to see that sort of space expanding in the wake of what Cole, uh, Key and Peele were able to do with their show. Yeah, I, I'm so glad you thought about Malibu's Most Wanted. I haven't <laughs> thought about that movie in years. Um, but as we're... Nobody has, not even Jamie Kennedy. No, he Hope, probably hasn't. That's fair. Actually, I would think he probably like sits up at night hoping that no one just remembers that movie and posts it on Twitter. Uh, I, I, the moment that is forever ingrained in my, my mind is him talking to Niecy Nash, uh, who plays mm. uh, his, his family's like maid, and he says, when's going to be our time? And she says, I know, baby. And that is just like burned into yeah. my brain forever. I can't forget about that. <laughs> now I have to remember it. Ah, uh, yeah. It's a weird moment, but it's... you're you're right. There's some weird. There's some interesting stuff in that movie. Almost. Yeah. Uh, I think it gets to it gets to like the sort of like I don't know like mid two thousand like early two thousand sort of like oh it's just about reconciliation. If we all see that yeah. we're all the same, it's okay. And it's like then we just like ingested that media until like. We're just like, oh yeah, there's still lots of horrifying things still happening. Man, we really, we really thought things were going to be okay there for about ten years. <laughs> we were dumb. Uh, I'm trying to think of any film because the way that Clarence and Rel enter into HPV, like as a space, I, I don't, I can't think of an equivalent of like middle class white dudes trying to enter into a, a more criminal white space. That, that's what I was trying to think of, and I, I literally, the only example I can think of is. 
Klansmen, uh, but not, even that, not really. Well, I, I, I think typically it's more aimed towards. What about the Blues Brothers? Okay, yeah. I, I yeah, mean, that might be. I mean, I think, not like for like the entire of the movie. Though. But yeah, when they go to the biker bar. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, crime movies where you have somebody going undercover, you yeah. can go with that. Like uh, Donnie Brasco. Yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, even Brooklyn Nine-Nine does this. Someone Jake has to go undercover. He's with the mafia. He's with the yeah. crime. You know, whatever. Um, but I also think of something like Meet the Parents, right? Where he's got this performative masculinity as, yeah. you know, he's a nurse, his name is Gaylord, you know, so he's got to try to be more of a man. And even something like Son-in-Law, Pauly Shore, right? It's those types of... Honestly, that's not a bad pick at all. That's not, yeah. And, and I think really the film does an excellent job of interrogating um, racial code switching. I'm not so sure it does as good of a job with gender code switching, or not even gender code switching, but performative masculinity specifically. Yeah. The ways in which uh, you know Key sort of finds himself as a man at a strip club, you know, and, yeah. and it's like, nah, it's not about the exploitation. Yeah, his whole arc is real. Real, real, real toxic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're gonna talk about the end of this movie for sure. Well, I mean, the way he finally accomplishes finally being a man for his woman is by yeah. decking a dude. Now that dude needs some decking. I'm all for that. Rob Hubel playing a uh, pristine scumbag as he often does. Such, yeah, he's so good at that unfortunate role. Yeah, he's got real good scumbag energy. But but what they end up doing is um, they code switch their language, you know, again to fit in this, in this sort of specific sort of ethnic group in which they are a part of. And again, this is a real sort of feeling that I have every time I go back home. You know, um, my drawl, um, and dear listener, if you're outside the state of Oklahoma, I hope my drawl is not super duper evident, but it comes back hard when I'm doing that stuff. And it's all of those things that they talk about, you know, because I'm, I'm doing a PhD, I teach English, you know, I'm a minister. And so, I mean, there's all this real lily lace, you know, and when I'm there, I suddenly find myself, you know, talking to my grandma and other relatives around the family and they say something's wrong with the car. I don't usually mess with cars, but I want to go mess with the car right then. <laughs> yeah, you do. Mm-hmm. To prove a point. With yeah. my drawl to say, yeah, I'm still a man. And, uh, yeah, I'll take a look at the car. Yeah. Looks like your Huberator's just uh, <laughs> malfunctioning, backfiring. Well, well, that's your problem right there. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, I, th- this is what I was thinking of, though. Yeah, getting around. The, the, the best experience that I'm comfortable talking about off, off the top of my head is, yeah, getting around family who comes from the country. Yep. And the, the ways in which I immediately notice my voice becomes different. Those uh, those things. I mean, you navigate your workspace different than you do your friends. Oh, and, sure. You know. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's. I'm glad that th- this film exists for that reason. But yeah. it's it's interesting to me. The obviously again the, the the racial component of it, but the the masculine and and socioeconomic status components of it are really interesting to me too. Because we find both of the characters at the first part of the film. You know, we find Key as a bit of a, what a browbeaten. You know, um, beta male. He's a very he's a people pleaser. He's a very solid dad, but yeah, he's a people pleaser. And then um, Jordan Peele's character is very much. Um, it, it establishes his character through movie posters, which I think is really cool. But there's yeah. something there's something really effeminate to what's going on the whole time with uh, just sort of his broken down emotions with mm, the breakup okay, with the girlfriend okay. and his love for the cat. I think love for the cat itself is yeah. sort of coded feminine the way they do these sort of things in the film. And those particular characteristics. Well, he's an artist too, and he's, and he's an yeah. artist, yeah, yeah. Which is definitely, again, sort of one of those, you know, culturally coded as cult- feminine, yeah, culturally coded feminine sort of things. And the way in which they sort of become fully grounded, and he, uh, you know, the way it's seen is the consummation of the relationship of Key because his wife wants to bang because he hit the guy, and then uh, the the establishment of the couple, you know, with Peel's character. Um, what they end up doing to, in order to get there is learn how to efficiently distribute violence. 
And that's really, I mean, I, I, I like this movie a lot. And I, again, especially with this racial conversation, but in terms of a gender performativity conversation, it's pretty regressive, I think, on the, on the final look. I think I would argue it knows that, though, right? In so much as that they go to jail. Like, the, the, the ultimate, the end goal, the end result, rather, of this like, embodied masculinity, of this distribution of violence, is jail. The, the system will come after you for your embodied masculinity. If, but I mean, like, even in the jail sequence, they're like, they, yeah, they, yeah. they find themselves in jail, which is a whole other conversation. Yeah. Um, but they seem popular. Yeah, they seem popular because they murdered the two most evil motherfuckers in the rest of the city, apparently. And so, like, through that, like, sort of enactment of violence, through the sort of enactment of a very specific type of black masculinity, they become. Uh, accepted by their peers, like regardless of like any of the other like code switching stuff like they do. Like Peel even says at the end of the movie, like I don't even have to change my voice anymore. They just accept me. Um, so there's just this really intense like question to ask. Like, is this? I think. So I think this movie does a really good job of like sort of interrogating that sort of anxiety. I think like there is, it is trying to put this the right way there are no black people that i know um or have like known that haven't had the specific like uh, sensation of not feeling like you're performing blackness in the correct way or that you are um somehow like not engaging with the culture that you're supposed to or that you're like blackness will be perceived as um and as a negative in other cultural spaces but um so they kind of like just point blank say like hey uh, it's okay to enact a specific sort of blackness because you'll find yourself along the way instead of expanding the conversation and saying, hey, maybe that there are different ways of enacting blackness. Like, and in a certain sense, they kind of like merge their two identities. Like, you know, dude gets a George Michael tattoo. Everyone's learning how to communicate and stuff like that. But all they've really done is sort of like put themselves into this, put allow themselves to find their place in the script. They haven't like expanded what the script is. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That's, I really wanted to try a little bit, give, but you're right. Yeah. 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 That, that, so. that feels right. It's a little, it's just a little troublesome. Um, but otherwise, you know, I'm again, I don't mean it as a, uh, like a damning criticism of the film, but it's, you know, no. I mean like, that's kind of like any sort of like fish out of water comedy. Like I think like there's a certain level in which like they're poking fun at whatever culture that they're sort of interrogating. And, like, reconciliation is typically always come from, well, let's just merge the two ways of thinking. That'll be okay, right? Which depends on which merger you're talking about, so. Are there any big other thematic threads that we want to tackle regarding this film? I feel like I had something, but uh, I feel pretty good about what we got. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're good. All right, well, let's render a verdict then. Um, shelf or trash with the film Keanu? Do we put it on the shelf, or shall we uh, forever destine it for the dustbin of cinema history? I go to you first, Dalton. Yeah, okay. Uh, we, we have tried this year to not be so gracious with the shelf, but I think that this film and the careers of, of the people that brought it to screen warrant shelving. I think it's extremely funny. Uh, I think it, it went underseen in theaters. This movie uh, did not make money. It did not do well. I, I'm certain it did not. Yeah, no, I, I looked it up, and I was shocked at how little money it made. Mm. Um, so I, I think trying to make sure that it stays in the conversation, and again, with, with Jordan Peele becoming a, 
the, the wonderkin of, of Hollywood, rightfully so, I, I think it's important to be able to look back at his career as a comedian and see how that has informed his career as a, as a filmmaker. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think this definitely warrants being placed on the shelf, uh, if only for the conversations that we've had this evening. And I, there's just not that many movies that are interrogating the stuff that this film is interrogating, in the specific ways that it's interrogating. And so, yeah, I, I say it's absolutely shelfable. Uh, and again, the ways in which it, it threads that needle of real serious dramatic tension and comedy is just it's lights out. Nice. All right. Well, Cameron, what do you say? Shelf or trash for the film Keanu? Um. I'm definitely leaning more towards shelf. Like, I wouldn't say it's, like, trash-worthy at all. Like, maybe, like, towards the bottom of the shelf. It's not, like, there are wonderful comedies out there, I think, that, like, engage with similar topics. Or at the very least, like, forefront, like, uh, it's cast motivations or cast, like, um, I don't know. Like, I've, it's impossible to kind of, like, rate this movie now that I've seen uh, Sorry to Bother You because that, like, does such a great job of interrogating uh, code-switching, like, Ah, that movie broke me for like a couple weeks. Um, but I think that this movie does what Key and Peele are great at. It puts together a very competently done series of sketches and series of moments that are all threaded around a very specific like social construct or social concept that they want to interrogate or talk to with like some sort of like amount of uh, understanding. And it follows the general like Jordan Peele format of Let's take this very simple concept and like push it off the rails until it can't go anymore. And it does it as well as anything else he's made since or before. All right. Well, thank you very much for that. What do you say, Arthur Gordon? Shelf or trash the film Keanu? I'm going to very lightly place it at the bottom of the shelf, I think. Uh, and it's mostly to Dalton's point of there's just not a lot doing this type of interrogation i think you know sorry to bother you i think is the much stronger example and would be much higher on a shelf um but just due to the lack of resources and uh it's very well made i mean it's just good comedy and and so i think also on that level of of just seeing two comedians working and writing and or you know pills writing with the i can't remember who the co-writer is on this oh i can't um, remember either but he does have a co-writer here but it's still just a really tight comedy um and, and so if, if you want like the the cliff notes of key and pill and what that show is about i think this is kind of a good entry point to that. And so just kind of lightly putting it on the shelf. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm also going to be putting it on the shelf. And I think the reason why I would do this, I mean, it's very, very good. Um, you guys all make the same case about sorry to bother you. But for me personally, sorry to bother you is a movie that I would have to question whether or not I screened it or not for content purposes. There's a lot of horse penis. I mean, you know, there's, you know, those kind of concerns that you sometimes find yourself having to deal with in an educational sort of situation. And you could use a movie like this as an easy sub. And it's always good to have, I mean, this is an underrated R film, but something a bit more PG. Well, um, a bit more accessible. Yeah. Yeah. Now, sorry to bother you. Definitely takes a lot a lot of like really careful analysis and like sort of like going through this is definitely something you can like throw up to like any sort of like freshman level like film class and they'll like have a super super good time in watching it but also super easy time interrogating some of the things that are going on i mean you almost directly reflected my thoughts because i'm thinking that this keanu is the undergrad course and then for the grad section you do uh sorry to bother you yeah and so that's why I would go ahead and shelf this particular film. So. Well, there you have it. Uh, now it's time to do social media stuff because uh, I keep forgetting to do it. Um, so we'll do that real quick. Uh, Cameron, you're our guest. Where can people find all the good stuff that you're making? 
You can find me at Cam Brouhaha. That's at C-A-M-B-R-E-W-H-A-H-A on both Twitter and Instagram. You can keep up with me there. Find out what I'm doing um, via either of the social medias. If you do that, you must find his spoken word performance of his Creature from the Black Lagoon. It will change you. It's so good. I, I, I'm surprised it's getting around as far as it can. I did that on uh, my friend Don Data. Uh, uh, shouts out to Don Data, who uh, works at The Spy, uh, doing the show No One Man. Uh, Don Data just hit me up and said, hey, do you want to do like a poetry set at this venue while I do the drums? And I was like, that sounds like it could be fun. I don't know what it'll be. Uh, then it happened and it was one of the coolest shows I've ever been a part of. And like, it's apparently it's circling the Twitter sphere, uh, like pretty rapidly. And I'm just like, Oh, this is like, I had like three people come up and say, Hey, I saw you from the thing. I'm like, Oh snap. Cool. Thanks. All right. That's awesome. But yeah, at Cam Brouhaha, you can find me Twitter and Instagram. I post pretty regularly on Twitter, like pretty intermittently on Instagram. But if you say hi, I'll say hi back. I promise. You guys still making paneled? Uh, panel just happening. We're actually doing a thing. I can't really talk about it. Oh, okay. There's a, uh, there's a secret panel thing going on. Uh, you'll have to tune into some of your favorite podcasts to find out about it. Well, if, uh, listener, if you want to find out about paneled while you, uh, while these secret things are happening, uh, you should go check that out. Cameron, you want to give them the, the log line? Cause it's, it's such a cool show. Yeah. So paneled is a comic book narration podcast. We talk about the history and context in which these comic books came out. And then just do a line-by-line, panel-by-panel reading and description of what's going on there. It's really fun. We have a lot of different people on there. Dalton was on an episode. Uh, it was as, a good time. As, a, as the Green Arrow. Uh, Got to have you back to do a couple of different like voices. I think you did so good on that one. Thanks, man. Uh, but you can find us at Paneled Podcast on Twitter and Instagram as well. And you can find us basically anywhere that you can stream podcasts. So, Which is a good segue into this. If you want to keep putting this show in your dumb ears, um, y- yeah, you know the deal. Subscribe on a podcatcher. That's, that's the thing. It helps people see the show. Rate, review, subscribe. You've listened to a podcast before. You know what's up. Uh, you can follow the show and all of Good Trash Media at good underscore trash on Twitter. If you're not on Twitter, just stay away. You don't need any part of this. Um, you can find everything we're doing, written content, all the archives for every show Good Trash Media has ever put together over at uh, on the webs. Uh, it's uh, www.goodtrashmedia.com. Last but certainly not least, if you want to help us keep the lights on, go over to Good Trash. Oh, good Lord, that's not it. It's patreon.com forward slash GTM. There we go. I still know how to do it. Uh, that's it. Uh, you know, if you want to give us money, cool. If not, just go subscribe to the show right away. Give review. them money. This podcast must be seen by the masses. Oh, thanks, Cameron. All right. Well, give us money. There. Just do it. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a marathon done. We're done. We are officially we done, are done with Congratulations. the man they called Keanu. So that's oh it. Oh, ooh, Dustin. Good run. Ooh, Dustin. Bye bye. Here's, here's the thing. Actually, uh, you should have read your contract, bud. Oh, We've got you for a what while. What is this? What yeah. is this? So, Dustin, Dustin, we promised Dustin. I have that no we, idea what's going on. We this promised cool. Dustin if we did one more marathon, we'd let him go. But uh, he didn't read his contract. So good. Oh, shit. If I made a deal with the devil. Yeah, As all did. good uh, lawyers do, they, uh, they hooked you. Yeah, and I, so uh, I we're gonna like do. We're Keanu gonna, Reeves and the Devil's Advocate. You should. Uh, it looks like it's gonna get very terrifying. Look at me. Do I look like a man you should sign a contract from? That's a good point. Yeah, I'm yeah. saying. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't even like Uber with this guy. Uh, so next week, <laughs> drove um, Uber for a while. <laughs> we're going to. Uh, we're, we're about to do some uh, fun stuff in June, and so uh, next week we are going to be looking at the '95 cult. Uh, Classic? I don't know if it's a classic, I but it's so. a cult oh, film. Oh, it's certainly a cult classic. And it is Tank Girl. 
All right, I'll do one more. Oh You'll do Tank God. Girl? All right, one more. All right. Gotta do Tank Girl. Oh, my God. So you all keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.